The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We are uh, walking through the different core values and different questions that we ask to become disciple makers and to start thinking about how we are going to, uh, to reach the world with the message of Jesus Christ. And so we went through our core values, joy, authenticity, and relationship, and then we started walking through our questions. Uh, and we are most of the way done. We have this question and another left uh, to finish out. Um, this question that we're on right now is, Am I expecting God to move in real life? And uh, we, we, we wrap a lot of what God is showing us uh, around the, um, the great commandment, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we believe that's the heart, uh, at, Jesus taught it, that's the heart of what the law was all about. And so his grace helps us to understand that uh, the heart of the truth of God is to is not for us just to be obedient robots to do whatever he asks but to become little representations of who he is in this world and we just can't do that on our own we need his grace to even save us and put us in a position where we understand it and because of that we need to rely on him for our identity and there's a lot going around in the world today about how we discover our own identity and God says you can do that um, but because none of us have all of the information it's difficult for any of us to really understand our identity without his help and so he's willing to help us understand what our identity is supposed to be if we will trust him with it and so that is uh, the, the question that we want to ask today for our consider is what gives you your identity? When someone asks, who are you? What is your first way to respond? Say your name. Usually what the work you do is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of times we think of our names or we think of what, what work we do, right? And when we do that, we put ourselves in a box. How do we get out of that box? Well, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses, beginning in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5, starting in verse 15. So since we had our grand opening in January, we've been slowly teaching, like Michael said, on our core values, which describes what it means to be a disciple maker for Christ. And we've been spelling out the word filled, because one of our phrases obviously is filled to be empty. So F stands for, am I fervently seeking after God? I is for, am I fully investing in my walk with God? Then we did the two L's for learning and loving. 
And now we're, be, now we're talking about the letter E for expecting. Um, and last month during our loving series, we talked about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Last week, we dug deeper into the meaning of the heart. Today, we're digging deeper into the soul. And we're going to do that by looking at this passage in Ephesians 5 here in just a minute. So here's the big thing is our souls are important to God. Our souls are important to God. The most valuable possessions in the world are our souls. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16. For what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus emphasized the importance of your soul and not just in eternity, but its health in the here and now. Just know this, the most valuable possessions of the world are our souls, and, and one of the most important words in the Bible is the word soul. So if you've got a pen and you're taking notes, you can write down these few passages. The first one is Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Deuteronomy 10.12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience in him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Then in Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Then in Psalm 42, 1, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, where I can go and meet with him. See, once we recognize the value of our souls and the value of the souls of others, we will want to do all we can to save souls. So the question is, what is the soul? How does the Bible describe our soul, and what does this Bible say about our souls? So John Ortberg, who wrote the book Soul Keeping, describes it this way. He describes it this, the soul this way. We each have an outer life and an inner one. My outer self is the public, visible me. My accomplishments, my work, my reputation, it all lies there. But inside is my soul, that part of me that speaks in silence to others but yells at me. It's the inside stuff of real life. What is your soul saying to you? How is your soul? Is it connected to the breath of life or is it deflated by the things of this world and self? My inner life is where my secret thoughts and hopes and wishes live because my inner life is invisible and it's easy to neglect. No one has direct access to it, so it wins no applause. If you think about it, when we asked, what, where do you get your identity? The first thing you thought of were the outer things. Mm -hmm. My name, my job, what I, what I do. Those, those are the things that we think of as our identity. Mm -hmm. And God says, there is something deeper that is more you than those things. Right. Dallas Willard explained the soul this way. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates 
integrates and enlivens everything going on in the dimensions of yourself. The soul is the life center of human beings. Everything we are exists in our souls. The soul is the innermost recess of our life. It encompasses your body, your mind, even your spirit. How is that inner soul of yours doing is the question. Is it thriving and growing or is it withering and dying? Are you feeding your soul or are you starving it? A soul is something that can be lost or even sold. The selling of a soul has been made into countless operas, books, movies, right? I can think of several off the top yes, of my head. Yes. Um, in lyrics of songs, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. If you feel that you've given your soul or sold your soul away to something, let me tell you today, Jesus can get it back for you if you ask him. Yeah. He has the power, and no one else can do that but him. So back to what Jesus said last week when we talked in Matthew chapter 6. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We need to love God with our souls. And we're going to find out as we're going through this series that the heart and soul are very much intermingled. They're intertwined. That's, that's a good point. As we're going through this, you may hear some similarities when we talk about heart and soul and mind. And part of the reason for that is because they're intertwined. So I, we don't want you to think of it as three separate parts of your life. And then you also have your body and your resources that you're dealing with. Each part that we talk about, all we're doing is isolating and talking about a certain piece of it. But it's really a part of the whole you. So the holistic you is going to be heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because of that, you will hear some similarities but there will be some differences. And think about that as we're continuing through this series because that's how God sees us. Yes. He sees us in those aspects. He doesn't see just all of everything. Right? It's what he means when he says we are made in his image. Correct. So what does the soul need to be healthy and whole? Because that's really what we're saying, right? We need a healthy and whole soul. The soul needs a connection to its creator God or it will find another God. Last week we talked about idols and making things bigger than God. Um, last week Jesus taught us that what your heart dwells on, when we talked about the heart, is what your heart desires and how you cannot serve two masters. An idol is anything that takes the place of God's rightful place in your life. It can be money, sports, career, popularity, children, or things. So anytime I sin, I'm allowing that desire to have higher priority than God. That's and why God's it's called missing the mark. Mm -hmm. It's called missing the mark because there is something that God knows is best for you. And you have decided to sacrifice that for something that feels immediate, feels like it will be pleasurable, feels like it will be better for you. you and so you put something ahead of God and say, I know that you told me this, God, but I think something else. Right. So I'm going to do that. And that's why it is sin, is because you have decided to take God's part and make the decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. Quoting John Orberg again, he says, our soul's problem is not its neediness, it's our fallenness. Our need was meant to point us to God. Instead, we fasten our minds and bodies and wills on other sources of ultimate devotion, which, is, which the Bible calls idolatry. 
In other words, we're looking for a way to connect our soul to something, and sometimes we connect it to a counterfeit instead of connecting it to God. It's the nature of our soul. It was designed to be connected with something. Mm -hmm. But if we cannot connect to God, we will find something else to latch on to because that's how he made us. Um, And this creates unhealthy ties. Um, And so while I was studying and doing my research, I ran across a preacher named Michael McCartney who gives us a great list, a kind of a checkoff list to see kind of where we are. Um, These are possibly some red flags that might might uh, come up when you're doing a soul check, so to speak. And he, he did such a good job of listing these that I couldn't have done it any better. So I wanted to, 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 to point those out. And I wanted to say, you don't necessarily need to have the whole list. Mm-hmm. Listen to the list for, the, for where you are on the list. Right. It's more important if you know where you are on the list than to have the whole list. Right. So some possible red flags might be, I think about money all the time. I fantasize about it. I can't get enough of it. That's one thing. (laughs) Number two is I wish I had more power control. You know, whether it be at work or whether it be with my kids or at home, I I just constantly am trying to get power and control over things. Number three, I've missed important family events in order to pursue my career. I justify to myself and my family that that I have to do what it takes to provide for them, but in reality, I am missing the mark. Number four, I have desires that I prefer not to have my spouse or significant other know about. If I am confronted by any of these desires, I become defensive and try to justify it. That one hurts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Number five, I have secrets that I am willing to lie to protect. Number six, if my doctor told me I had to give up salt, caffeine, sugar, alcohol, because it was seriously putting my health at risk, I would find it difficult to, point, to the point of being impossible. And I would try to tell anyone, I would try to do anything to avoid accountability for it. I'd be like, no, I don't need to do those things. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that hurts. That one hurts too. <laughs> if you ask my family what's my most important thing to me, they would likely refer to my job, my favorite hobby, or making money, and they probably wouldn't say it was about them. Number eight, I love God. And I want to more closely follow him, but there is one thing that always seems to get in the way, and it's blank. The answer to that question will go deep for you if you, if you really yeah. think about it. And I'd like to follow God, but this is in the way. Yeah. And those are hard questions. Mm-hmm. Those are tough. When we're digging deep into our soul and we're looking at who we are and our identity, sometimes it can be painful. You know, we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that that we need to kind of check, put back into place. We need to realign with God. Jesus says it this way, if you're doing it, if you're keeping me and everything's lined up and you're, you're doing your best to do that, Jesus makes a staggering claim. In John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I am the vine and you are the branches tells me I have to be connected to the one who gives me life, right? If that leaf disconnects from that limb, that leaf eventually is going to die. And soon we're going to be seeing that, right? In the next, well, for you all, it'll be like the end of October, 
maybe yeah. into November. <laughs> right. I don't know as hot as it <laughs> is this year. You guys are like year. a month yeah. <laughs> behind uh, up north. But, you know, we're slowly going to start seeing that. You know, the, tr the leaves are going to be falling and they're going to be coming disconnected from that vine. And even though God has, in my opinion, made death beautiful in that moment, right, because he turns them orange and red and yellow and gold and all of those beautiful colors, that leaf is still dead and it's disconnected from the tree. Um, and so God is saying bearing fruit is important and bearing fruit means that you will do wonderful things um, in, in the lives or God will do wonderful things in your life through him. If you read through the Bible, you get the sense that the soul was designed to search for God. And I think that's really, really cool. So Psalm 63, one says the soul thirsts for the mighty one. Psalm 143 says, it thirsts for him like parched land thirsts for water. Mm. Psalm 33, like a laser, it focuses the full intensity of its desires on him. And Psalm 63, it clings to him. So despite what our heart's doing and what our mind is doing, our soul is constantly telling us, reconnect 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 it's important i need him i thirst for him i long for him and that's what's beautiful about our souls and how god wired us to be the soul seeks god with its whole being because it's desperate to be whole the soul is is god smitten god crazy god obsessed um, and he wants us to be that way my soul will never find rest until it finds rest in god so how do we, ordinary people living in a world of technology and Google and economic challenges and changing beliefs and all of these things, how do we find a Jesus way to live? How do we discover a God life, a one where our soul yes. is whole and full in him? Healthy souls infused with, I'm going to give you the answer, the Holy Spirit can do this. All right, and so Michael's going to talk then about Ephesians and how that ties in. Yeah, because we needed you to understand what we're talking about when we talk about the soul so that this passage would make sense at, mm -hmm. as to why we chose it. Because the word for soul is not in this passage, but the idea is all through the passage. So we're in Ephesians 5. We're going to look at verse 15. I'm going to read the whole passage for you from the New Living Translation, because that's the translations we often use, and it's the one you have in front of you now. But when I go to teach it, I'm gonna teach out of the ESV, because I think that there's a deeper sense of it in that version. So, But for right now, let's just take a look at that NLT and listen to Paul's words. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's just start breaking that down. And, and the reason that I am using a different version is because that version has some parts of it where it, 
it kind of waters down what Paul is really trying to get to. It's, it's right, it's true, but there's a deeper meaning. For instance, it doesn't say these evil days. What it says in the Greek is the days are evil. So it's not talking about a time, like Paul was not talking to a group of people who were living in a particularly evil time necessarily. That wasn't his intention to get across. What he was saying is, time is an enemy in some ways. We only have so much time to be able to accomplish anything. There is not enough time left. And so we need to make sure that we're making the most of all of our opportunities. So whenever we get to that part, you'll, you'll see how that fits in with what he's actually telling us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the ESV now. It means the same thing, but it does have, it does flesh out more of the meaning. It says, look carefully then how you walk. <clears throat> and this literally in the Greek means how you walk around, like how you carry yourself, who you are, and how people see you, not just see you on the external, but they've been around you long enough to know who you are and they trust that they understand exactly who you are and you're somebody they want to be around. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, not as someone who, who has a lot of knowledge but doesn't really use it very much, but as someone who is wise, someone who has been seeking after knowledge about how to not just have the good life, but have the God life. How am I going to have the God life? And I have been seeking after that knowledge and as I learn new things, I put it into practice. To be wise is not the same as to have knowledge. To be wise is to use the knowledge you have to the best of your ability. So when he says, don't walk around and carry yourself as someone who is unwise, what he means is, stop being a fool. Stop, stop being, having no sense. In other words, make sure that when you walk around and, you, and people see you, they see you for who you are, they see that they can trust you, and they see that you have something going on in your life that they want themselves. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So what he's saying is the reason this is important for us to understand our identity and who he is and to walk around as if we are wise is because we don't know how much time we have left to convince the people around us that Jesus really loves them and that they can have this God life too. And so we don't know. We might have another five minutes with you. We might have another five years with you. We might have 500 years. We don't know what it is, but the one thing we do know is that it is eventually going to get cut short. So instead of waiting and thinking, you know, next time, Next time I'll do this differently. Next time I'll, he says, the days are evil. Stop, stop counting on the days. Instead, live this way. Therefore, he says in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, it's not just um, in the other passage in the NLT, it says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's not talking about what the Lord wants you to do. It's talking about what the Lord's will is. And if you look in scripture in several places, he says the will of God is that all men might be saved. Right. The will of God is that every person would know who Jesus is. 
The will of God is that the gospel would be given to the entire world. The good news of Jesus Christ, that you too can trust him and have a whole different life, a God life, that was, is better than the good life that the world gives you. So that makes him think, what are the things that can happen sometimes when you get into the world? So in verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is, and he uses a $50 word, debauchery. Now, in this case, the NLT has the right meaning of it. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. So we have sometimes in the past used that word debauchery to talk about what it's like to have the party life, to have, you know, to be the life of the party and to go and, uh, and have all the fun and uh, do all the things. And, you know, what is it uh, your dad used to say? Smoke, drink, and chew and go with girls that do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What, what he's saying, though, and that, that word wine and that, word, that idea of drunkenness, the Greek word is methusko, where we get the, the root for meth, which is, it, it's not talking about what we know as meth today, but what it's talking about is losing control, giving ourselves over to something that becomes so important to us that we lose control. So he's not just talking about wine here. He does, he's not saying don't drink wine. What he's saying is don't get distracted by what the world can offer when there is something better. The world says this is the good life and God says no. You only think that's the good life because it's the best you can come up with on your own. Instead, walk in the God life because that's way better and let me show you why. Okay, so he says don't get drunk with wine for that is, that, that's gonna ruin your life. But instead, be filled with the spirit and that word filled means to be filled to the brim. If you ever poured water into a, a glass and got to the place where you poured so much water that it actually is kind of like up over the glass, the, the water, the, the surface tension is keeping it in the glass, but it's so full that it's literally above the glass, that's the kind of filled that this is. He's saying, get in all the spirit that you can. Let it just fill you up all the way to the brim and then some, because if you do that, you're gonna have a better opportunity to live the life that I'm talking about because it's through the spirit that we have that power. Um, our, our favorite um, verse that we, that we base the jar on is from 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And it says, but we hold these treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the treasures we have are all the things that God gives us. His joy, his peace, his love, his kindness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, everything that he could pour into us. And the idea is that we get filled with that to the point that we're just brimming with it. And then we start pouring it out. We don't do the filling. We also don't do the emptying. God, through his spirit, will show us the opportunities if we're walking around as if we've got some sense. If we're walking around using the knowledge that we've been given, if we walk around and see people for who they, who God sees them to be and not for who they think they are right now, the world has convinced them of one thing, but God is willing to show them the truth behind that curtain. So now all of a sudden, when we see people, what we see in their identity is that they too are made in the image of God. And they are just as important as I am to God. And so as I walk around and I see them, I want to see how I can serve them in such a way that I get the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So they too can have the God life and give up what the world calls 
the good life. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay? The idea here is not to talk about worship songs. He is using this as an example, just as he used wine as an example for the good life. He's using music as an example for the God life. And he says, if you're singing psalms, then you know the scripture so well, you've made songs out of it. If you're singing hymns, hymns are praise songs. They, are, they celebrate who God is. And so all of those traditional things that we think of as hymns are meant to draw us back to our heritage. All of the things that we've learned as believers through the years and all of the people who have lived this way before us and left us songs that show us after what that looks like. And then spiritual songs are literally impromptu songs we make up on the spot because we love God so much we can't. You ever, you ever seen a little kid be so excited about playing that they're making a song about what they're playing about? That is this kind of song. Right. Imagine loving God and being so in tune with him that as you go to do something for him, you're singing about it. You're making up a song about it because you are so excited to do this thing for him. That's what he's saying. So when he says making melody, we add the words to and with to this sentence. What the Greek actually says is singing, singing and making melody the Lord your heart. In other words, he's using this to talk about the melding of you and God in your heart so much so that it becomes your identity and you now are showing Jesus to every person that you meet. Oh, come on, that's good preaching. Mm -hmm. So when I am singing my life to God, I am now so melded with him that people can't help but see Jesus because of who I am. My identity is in Christ. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live, I'm going to forget all that rubbish, all those things that happened before, all of those uh, big accomplishments that I had. None of that matters. It's all trash to me. Rather than that, what I want to do is press forward to the goal of the, the reward that I'm going to have because I am living so much for God that people see my heart, they see Jesus. And then he finishes with giving thanks always and for everything. That literally means giving all the thanks all the time for all the things. And what does all mean? All means all. So I am living a life of gratitude because I know even the tragedies, even the accidents, even the times when the enemy steps in and throws me for a loop. God is going to use those things to shape my identity in such a way that I bleed Jesus over everybody who comes near me. The tragedy may be bad, my tears may be wet, but they are salty with Jesus. And they see how I respond to those tragic events, and they say, man, I wish I had the strength to do that. So that they will ask the question, how? How do you do that? And then you're honest with them and you say, thanks be to God. This wretched person that I am couldn't do it on their own. But because of who God is in me, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. That's what that passage means. In the midst of tragedy, I can be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I bleed Jesus. And then one last piece. He tells us to place ourselves under each other out of a deep, fearful respect for who Jesus is. The one who washed the feet of the disciples when no one else would think of it. When everyone else was worried about the meal, he saw the dirty feet of his kids and said, I got to wash those first before we can have this. And that's the Jesus that we want to identify with here. A great way of looking at that is to look in Acts chapters 1 and 2. Because the disciples are up in the upper room, they've been told to wait there, and they've been there for 10 days, and they have been praying, and they have been casting lots and trying to figure out who's going to be the 12th person now that Judas is gone. And they've been trying to figure out what did Jesus mean when he said power from on high. We know we saw him. We know that we had these 40 days with him ascended, but what in the world is this going to look like? Jesus went into heaven. He's gone now. Now it's all up to us. What are we going to do? And in the midst of all of that fear and all of that worry and all of that anxiety, the Holy Spirit came rushing like a fire and filled the room and filled them up so much so that they walked out of the room and they were so happy. They were so full of joy. They were so full of life that the people who saw them said, you must be drunk. <laughs> and Peter said, oh, no, we're not drunk. Let me tell you what just happened. And because they were who they were, Peter got to tell everyone about who Jesus is. And you know what happened that day? 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I truly believe that we are meant to be joyous. But I think because we're so fragile, mm. sometimes we, we let the stress of life and real hurts and yes. real spills and real pain and all yes. of those things take over and sometimes we then take that drunkenness and we try to find it in places that we shouldn't find it in Amen. instead Amen. of in the spirit so let me give an example we'll just use alcohol as an example but like i said earlier it could be anything right so alcohol is a chemical de depressant while the holy spirit is a spiritual stimulant <laughs> Yes. Alcohol impairs our judgment, but the Holy Spirit improves our judgment. Alcohol makes some users violent, while the Holy Spirit makes us more loving. Alcohol destroys homes and families, but the Holy Spirit brings families together. Alcohol brings out the worst, but the Spirit brings out the best. And that's why he says in verse 18, understand the days are evil. Make the most of what God gives you and not fall for cheap imitation of real joy. Now, we're not saying don't ever drink a beer. Right. That's not what, I, we're, that's not what we're saying here. We're not saying right. alcohol is evil. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But what we are saying is we're using alcohol just like we used money as an example for the heart yes. last week. Yes, We're using alcohol as an example, right, for, an, for things that we can use instead of the Holy Spirit. We, re, we use those things to fill our souls when we should be using the Holy Spirit to do that. Yeah. Be determined. Here's our B for today. Be determined 
to guard your soul. So there's a couple of things on how to guard your soul if you're taking notes. Number one, a soul that is filled with the Holy Spirit will honor God with their body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Yes. Therefore, honor God with your body. And Amen. that can be a whole lesson all in itself, and we're not going to talk about that today. But the key point of that passage is the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. Right? So honor God with your body. Number two, your soul needs rest. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to have a rested soul? Patsy and Steve are on vacation right now. Why? Because their souls need rest. Right? We all need that. There's a reason why God took the seventh day to mm -hmm. rest. Mm -hmm. Right? He made the world in six, and on the seventh he rested, and he showed that to us. Yes, his intention. God didn't need to rest. He did it to show us. And I know mm -hmm. one of the things that I did that increased my ability to do ministry greatly was that I began to spend one day a month where I didn't try to talk to anybody or get any ministry done or do any work. I just spent a day away at this special place that I had mm -hmm. to just be with my father, just be with God, just let him talk to me, just be quiet for a little while. And I, I, for some of us, it's easier to be quiet than for others. Uh, but I found that as an introvert in an extrovert's world, I was often, often having to use more words than I really wanted to. So much so that I started feeling like I was doing something wrong if I wasn't using all of my words. And even as an introvert, I had to have some time to go away and say, I'm just going to be still for a little while and let God be God. Right. The soul was not made to run on empty. Yes. Right? And we talk about that here at the jar. If your jar becomes empty, if your vessel becomes empty, you have nothing to empty out with. Mm. Okay? The soul doesn't come with a gauge. Doesn't mm. come with a little needle. That's right. On your body you somewhere. Can't wake up and check it says, and see. Oh, my soul how, needs, how am I doing? <laughs> you know, it needs refilled. That's you right. Know? You know, my heart's <laughs> over here and my soul's over here and I got my little gauges. We don't have that. But here are some indicators of soul fatigue. They're a little more subtle, so you can ask yourself these, these questions. Things seem to bother you more than they should. Your spouse's gum chewing suddenly reveals to you a massive character flaw. <laughs> it's hard to make up your mind about even a simple decision. Impulses to eat or drink or spend or crave are harder to resist than they otherwise would be. Mm -hmm. That's a hard one, too. Yeah. Can I get an amen? on? For me, it's my Diet Cokes. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's my Diet Cokes. <laughs> Shannon knows. <laughs> if I have four Diet Cokes in one day, there's a problem. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, you are more likely to favor short-term gains in ways that leave you with high long-term costs. Mm. Right? Ooh. Because you get tired of having to wait on God. You're like, I'm done. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because God's not going to answer me anyways. Right. Okay. Or your judgment is suffering. And, and like I said at the beginning, this one was tough, y'all. <laughs> this is a kind of a gut puncher. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I mean, God's not saying, oh, you bad people. That's right. He's, what we're saying is just think about this is a, it's a soul check, mm -hmm. right? You're checking your gauge. Where am I? And if, right. you, if you're able to say yes to any of those things, which I think all of us could probably say yes mm -hmm. to one or two of the things that I've given you guys today, 
we're not saying it to make you feel bad. We're saying we're all in this together. Yeah. Actually, we're <laughs> you saying know? you already feel if you're if you're yeah. saying yes to these things, you already feel bad. We're saying there's healing for that. That's right. That's right. In Jesus, there's healing for that. Mm -hmm. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened mm. and I will give you rest. Yes. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So is God talking about you know oxen here? Yeah. But what he's really talking is about is our souls. Yeah. When we get heavy and things are, and we're saying yes to more than one of those questions, what Jesus is saying is, come to me, yeah. tell me about it. Yeah. Take time and rest and talk to me. Yeah. And I will take that burden from you if you give it to me. And that's what he's saying. Yeah, so, uh, so yes, we have a burden to live for Christ and he wants our obedience. But what he's saying is that yoke should be easy. That burden should be light. It should come out of who you are. Right. If you were having to work hard at obedience, there's a heart issue, there's a soul issue that needs to be dealt with before you're ready to do more work for him. His yoke and his burden should be easy and light, not burdensome and drag, soul dragging. Well, right in, in that passage too, and once again, that's Matthew chapter 11. I love how he says, for I am, he's talking about himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. So I love that because what that means is, is that even if we're answering yes to a lot of those questions that I've given you, what Jesus is saying is, I'm gentle. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to be mad at you because you're not doing X, Y, and Z the way I told you to do it. Right? I am gentle and humble at heart. In other words, come, just come to me. I love you. Come to me and tell me what's on, what's on your soul. Tell me what's on your heart and I will be there for you. And I, and I just, that's why I love my Jesus. Mm -hmm. that's good. So the number three thing to, to guard your soul is your soul needs to be free. Now this doesn't mean running around with flowers in our hair or living in a commune or meditating <laughs> all day on the beach. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I like the beach, but. Yeah, I guess all of that sounds good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but that's not what it means. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter three, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes. Freedom does not come by doing whatever I want to do. Instead, it usually that usually leads me into trouble. Um, but I was thinking about the movie in the, in the Christmas story when the kid's given a double dog dare to touch his tongue to the frozen pole. <laughs> yeah. I double dog dare you, and he sticks his tongue onto the pole, and what happens? His it tongue sticks. gets stuck, and then he can't get his tongue off the pole because it's frozen to the pole, right? He becomes a slave to his tongue, right? Mm. Freedom will come if it comes at all, only with sometimes some pain. But we get double dog, double dog dared all the time, mm -hmm. whether it be money, whether it be um, security, all the things we've talked about that we, have, that we talked about were idols before, sometimes can freeze our, our soul to the flagpole. We get stuck there and we can't get free from it. Um, and our soul craves to be free, mm -hmm. but we're not sure what that means. And like Michael said before, our freedom comes from the Holy Spirit. It's internal and it's soul related. And here's the great part too. You are a child of God who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when your tongue gets stuck on the pole, you say in the name of Jesus, 
or it'll sound like <laughs> in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I am free. I yes. can be free from whatever that is that is binding me. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5:1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Right. Don't go back to the old things. Stay with the new. The, the, the old wineskins can't handle the new wine anyway. They'll burst. Mm -hmm. Those things that you had before that, were, that you thought you were relying on, that were your identity, they will burst with this new wine. You need a new wineskin. You need a new identity. You need to understand who you are in Jesus so that you can let those things go for once and for all. And that is where the freedom happens. Amen. I love that song, where the freedom of the Lord mm. is. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then number four is your soul needs gratitude. Yes. The health of your soul is attached to the attitude you carry each day. So are you a complainer or are you a positive person? The Bible tells us to be thankful, rejoice always. Why? Because it's good for our souls, what we put. And we're going to be talking about minds mm -hmm. coming up, and that yep. kind of fits in. Remember, we keep telling you that they're, they're connected, right? And you always tell people, people always tell you what you put in your mind is what's going to come out. Mm -hmm. Same thing goes with your soul. Yes. What you put in there is what's going to come out. God has given us all good things. It says in James that we need to be thankful for all of these things. James chapter one, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We need to have a heart of gratitude for all the good things that come our way each and every day. So you see how we're going back to the heart there for a minute, right? The heart of gratitude and how the soul and the heart are connected they talk to each other, and I like how you put it in the Ephesians passage we just talked about how the soul almost, it almost keeps the heart in check a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Because sometimes the heart can get emotions and everything like that can take over and we forget. Can be deceived. And we can be deceived by our heart, but our soul's like, now wait a minute. You're desiring for something that's not good. Right? This is the soul talking. You're desiring for something that's not good, but I'm reminding you that our number one goal is him. <laughs> mm -hmm. Seek first the kingdom right. of God and his righteousness. Right. So take and time. All these other things will be added to. That's you. right. So if we guard our souls, then it won't matter what happens around us because our souls will be healthy enough to handle it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you're a believer in Christ looking for an opportunity to learn how to be a disciple maker, Come see us at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Our regular gatherings start on Sundays at 4 p.m., so you can still make it to see us today. Hope to see you soon. I am filled to be empty.